2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. I had planned this morning, had it all laid out, to do all of chapter one and chapter two. You don't think I could do that on Sunday morning? Neither did the Lord, evidently. Uh, This last week, um, I've been in Arizona. Um, I walked every day in the desert, and um, the Lord gave me this message and told me to call it overwhelmed. And just as a personal application at the beginning and the end, uh, there are many people today that are overwhelmed. I've talked one-on-one to people in our own fellowship that are overwhelmed beyond measure, and they're strong believers in the Lord. I see it on many faces of people that, I, as I would walk my regular hiking trail at Lost Dutchman State Park, um, I could see it on people's faces there, and um, Oh, ran into a couple from, um, was it the pier? They had Packer jerseys on. So I said, go pack. And they said, you're from Wisconsin, aren't you? <laughs> I said, a half an hour from Lambeau. And I bragged a little bit that I was in the ice bowl and just, just thought they should know that. Found out last night that that's the coldest game ever played on record. If any of you guys were watching the game. But anyway, as I was walking and um, observing all this, I thought to myself, you know, this really hasn't been addressed from a biblical perspective, the things that are happening. And even this week, it's been ratched up exponentially. And I'll explain that, why we're only doing these two verses. So the Lord gave me this message, and he wanted me to call it overwhelmed. The problem is, I didn't want to, because it wasn't anything positive at all in the message that I'm going to give this morning, except that which I mentioned in our prayer, that we know what's going to happen, that we know the beginning from the end, we have a hope that a lot of people don't have today, despite what's going on in the world. So then I became overwhelmed. Because I said, I really don't want to do it. Um, But I said, yes, Lord. (laughs) I will do it. And then I was at men's prayer yesterday. And we were in the book of Jeremiah. And for 40 years, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. For 40 years, he had nothing good to say. And the people were sick and tired of Jeremiah. They threw him in pits. They didn't want nothing to do with him. They said, how about if we listen to the false prophets instead? They're telling us at least what we want to hear. So as we begin this, I want to have a little bit of an overview of 
the encouragement. And I told the guys in reading this, all, all the guys are looking for something good to bring out of the passages that we're reading. That's difficult to do. But I, I told the guys after the study, I said, I gotta tell you, this is encouraging to me because of Jeremiah's message was basically, you're going into captivity for 70 years. There's nothing you can do about it. You've gone too far. So let's lay that foundation. I'm gonna have you turn to the book of Jeremiah and look at chapter 14. And as we were reading this, I got to chapter 14, verse um, 11 and 12. And the Lord said to me in chapter 14 of Jeremiah, verse 11, do not pray for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. And I couldn't believe what I was reading because I have underlined in my Bible the sword, which would be equivalent to warfare, and the pestilence, well, refers to pestilence. And so I couldn't believe what I was reading because those were the two main issues that I wanted to talk about this morning, and here I am reading them in Jeremiah. War and pestilence on the horizon, moving very, very quickly. The reason that God is bringing this judgment ties very much into our own administration today in Washington. I'd have you turn to chapter 15 and um, verse 4. He says, I hand them over to trouble to all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah for what he did. All right, what did Manasseh do? Second Kings 21, and what we have here is an evaluation of the different kings of Judah. And uh, in chapter 21, verse two, the spiritual evaluation of this king is that he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now in verse six, he also made his son pass through the fire. He practiced soothsaying and witchcraft. He consulted spirits and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Verse 16 sums it all up. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other besides his sin, which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. I would encourage you, if you want to get the whole um, evaluation, read all of chapter 21. But in summary, the reason for the judgment of the sword and the pestilence is because of the leadership from the king on down. He said, I'm going to bring a sword and pestilence because of the king. Now, if I would translate that into um, shedding innocent blood, it makes me think of abortion. I Googled it, 
I want to know how many babies had been aborted since 1973, Roe v. Wade. 62 million babies since Roe v. Wade. Our president's in alignment with that. I'm going to associate, if I dare, Manasseh with Biden and his administration and all the people that are with him and allowing and continuing these things to take place in our own country. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody wants to talk about this stuff. It's overwhelming to even think about it. But we are responsible, not just him, but all those who go along with it. And as um, Billy Graham said concerning these issues, if um, the Lord doesn't bring judgment on America, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. He owns Manasseh an apology. He said, but no, it was the leadership from uh, on top, Manasseh. That's why I'm going to bring the sword and the pestilence. Well, I'm getting, my whole attitude about giving the morning's message is changing rapidly. <laughs> because here I want to address this issue and I get home that night and I, I can't believe what I'm hearing because um, David Muir is actually commenting on what I wanted to talk about. And I never thought I'd see it on the evening, evening news. So I told the guys at Men's Prayer, guys, this is an encouragement to me because of my message. It's like Jeremiah's. And I can identify with it because of the leadership in our own country and what they're tolerating. Um, not all of them. I mean, there are some uh, whistleblowers, I'll call them, out there that are finally allowing things to come out on what's really happened, and we'll talk about some of those things this morning. So we see in Jeremiah 14, God says, I'm going to bring judgment because of your leadership, and it's going to involve the sword, equivalent slash wars, and pestilences, equivalent for our times, slash pandemic. And actually, um, uh, grab the bull by the horns here and go for it. But in way of introduction, one of the reasons that the Lord in his arm twisting where I said uncle <laughs> was because, and I'm going to have you turn to this, Ezekiel chapter 33. So turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, verses 1 through 6. The appointment of Ezekiel as watchman. And I'll read it and let it speak for itself. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, or the warning, but he did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will be saved. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned 
and the sword comes and takes away any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Is everybody tracking with me? In other words, if what I know, and um, sometimes I tell myself, you know too much, and it's grievesome. Uh, The Bible talks about with much knowledge, and I'm not trying to brag here, I just know what the Bible says about the times that we're living in. Um, Comes much sorrow, and it's it's difficult to um, articulate and talk about these issues. But this is what got me to say uncle, because I know it's coming. Every day last week, I went home, escalating on two main fronts, on the war front and on the COVID front, these two issues. And so this morning, with this on our land and what I see coming to our land, there are two main ones unfolding as we speak. And the latest of these escalations are as recent as Friday, 6.36 Eastern Standard Time of what's happening right now. As we're sitting here, other things are happening. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We have two issues. A most probable war with Russia and a war that's already with China in the form of bioweapon called the COVID vaccine. Those two fronts, the sword and the pestilence. Let's begin with the quickly unfolding events between Russia and the Ukraine, NATO, and the USA. And I, my, my mouth dropped when I turned on the news. I don't like watching David Muir because he just never tells the truth. <laughs> and only the escalating fear that he tries to, you know, these people are told what they can say. I saw one program where they put all the TV channels together and they all had exactly the same title for introduction, word for word. And uh, I'm going, somebody's pulling strings and um, that's because there are. So imagine my surprise when David Muir on the evening news reports on the movement by Russia, um, even calling it a possible false flag. My mouth really dropped. As um, protect uh, from an evasion, uh, he also went on to show hundreds, seven miles of 100,000 troops moving from not just eastern Russia, but the middle of Russia, all going towards the Ukraine border. And I can't believe that he's actually talking about this. And um, so what has happened, Just I'm going back just one week. The information I'm going to share with you is that fresh, not any older than that, just this last week. NATO and Russia had been trying to work out a diplomatic solution about Ukraine all last week. But on January 13th, there was meetings on last Monday and last Wednesday, but on the 13th, the talks were abruptly called off. The Russian foreign minister called the talks over. No more talking. Then declared that Russia would have no choice but to go to a military and technical means to protect Russia from NATO's plan 
to put U.S. missiles in Ukraine that could reach Moscow in five minutes and their major nuclear uh, missile sites in central Russia in seven minutes. And he won't stand for it. Uh, Depart Foreign Minister Grusko said since today's talks failed, there's no sense to talk, no more meetings. When diplomacy fails, what comes next? You start to call your ambassadors home because what's around the corner is war. The same day on the 13th, the Russian stock market dropped 5.7%. People that have a little bit more moolah, they sort of have a little bit more insight on the inside track of what's going on. So they're usually a step ahead of you on what to do with their money. So all this money starts moving around. Why is it moving around? Because they don't like what they see on the horizon. And so it dropped on the same day, the 13th. This could actually lead because there's no way that Putin is going to tolerate missiles on the border of Ukraine. And that is a red line for for Putin. Now that's one view, but it's more complicated than that because there is an alternative view to what's going on on here. And the fact that Putin actually said rag flag, I just, again, I couldn't believe it. But let me give you an alternative view of what might be taking place here. Now, I want you to imagine the Cuban Missile Crisis, April of 1961. Um, Some of you here weren't old enough to remember that. Uh, JFK was in power, and uh, we were on a family vacation. It was probably a little bit later into May. This would have been April. We were in Quebec on our way to Nova Scotia, um, Funday Bay. You guys ever hear of Funday Bay, the largest, uh, where they have the largest uh, tides that come in? Um, anyway, that's where we were headed. And my father, I'm only 10 years old at the time, so I'm trying to figure out that, what dad is talking about. And um, I saw something on him for a 10 year old that I'll never forget the expression, the look in his face, that he began to explain nuclear war. And I had no idea. But my dad, I've mentioned this before, is personal to him. Uh, his was, he was in the uh, Navy, and his ship was the first ship to land at Nagasaki after we dropped the second bomb. They were the first one on land. So there's things imprinted in my dad's mind that he won't talk about. But all I can remember to this day, the look on his face when he's saying, Russia is bringing missiles, and they're trying to bring them into Cuba. And that was over my head. At 10 years old, you just don't latch on to stuff like that. So at that point, um, JFK was in power. Let me repeat the phrase. Imagine the Cuban Missile Crisis only in reverse. Instead of Russia planning nuclear weapons in Cuba, now we, NATO, want to put um, nuclear missiles in Ukraine. Now, if you're Russia and Putin, what are you thinking? Um, let, let me put it this way. Putin is put out. <laughs> I'm trying to find some humor in this message. <laughs> he, 
he is put out. And he's saying, no way, that's not gonna happen. I'll get to Sweden late, later. That, that's what happened yesterday because of the actions that are being taken, just to get you thinking a little bit. From Russians' point of view, they can't allow the Ukraine to have U.S. NATO nuclear missiles five minutes from Moscow. Uh, just as we couldn't allow Russia uh, to place nuclear weapons in Cuba. JFK said, no way, it's not gonna happen. And it was, for those of you who are old enough to remember, you remember the tension that went on. Unfortunately, Russia blinked first. And they turned around and went home. But what about um, Russia saying no to this, a reversal of the Cuban Missile Crisis, So the question now arises, who's really picking the fight? Is this a false flag? Is this something that our own country could actually be behind with a false flag? And uh, some of you are thinking, Dwight, you say we would, we could never have a nuclear war. Don't you understand MAD? That's mutual assured destruction. There's no way we'd ever go to war. And that would have been true during JFK's administration. Let me ask you this. What if about two and a half years ago, I got up here and said, you know what I think our government's going to do? I think they're going to be involved with um, chemical biological warfare and work with China to develop a vaccine for depopulation purposes. What would you have thought of me two and a half years ago? That's right. You're crazy. Our own country being at war, knowing what they're doing, and I'm gonna prove this in just a second with things that came out this week. If I would have told you that two and a half years ago, and now we're watching it unfold. But things are unfolding, people are coming forward, there's whistleblowers, there's generals in high places declassifying top secret information, and it's gonna get out. And it's gotta be addressed. And you can see why I don't want to address it. Because it's like Jeremiah. Who wants to hear this stuff? It is overwhelming. And so, our government, if I would have told you that two and a half years ago, we would never do it because of mutual assured destruction. We call it mad. Because it is mad. Difference is, we're not quite up to speed. I mean that literally as Russia is our nukes can travel pretty fast but they can't go 7,000 miles an hour Russia's can and uh, they're technologically more sophisticated militarily in that particular area now this last Friday the 14th that's two days ago um of January 2022, at 6.35 Eastern uh, Standard Time, a Russian nuclear sub-BORI, that's B-O-R-E-I class, uh, carrying 16 nuclear missiles. Each one can hold 10 nuclear bombs. So I'm talking 160 nuclear missiles in this one submarine. So what, what about it? Well, it just happened to surface, and before I go any farther, let me say that 
I wouldn't be making these comments unless I have at least two very credible verifications, and I'm gonna challenge you to be a Berean and do your own homework and see if what I'm saying is out there in the news and all you have to do is Google it. You'll find out for yourself. Well, this nuclear class, Morai class submarines with 160 nukes on it, surface 14 miles off the coast of Norfolk, Virginia, one of our major naval headquarters in the country. It put up the telescope, looked around. We detected it, of course. We knew they were there, and we pinged it. Everybody know I say when I say ping, you know what a ping is? And if you're in a submarine, they pinged that Russian submarine 10 times. Basically saying, we know you're there. So what do they do? They bring the thing right up to the surface for the whole world to see. We ping them 10 times to let them know, we know you're there. The Russian sub then surfaced for all to see, then submerged and left. It's confirmed by multiple sources easily. You can Google it, be a Brian, and check it out. But this happened just this last week. And um, what's, what's that all about? Well, I think it's Russia was saying, just wanted you to know we're here. With all your planning and all that you're looking at right now, just want you to know we're here. And um, I could talk about other stories that I've heard, but when I only have one verification, I won't talk about it. Um, But there are other things going on, ships around Hawaii, for instance, that are taking place. But I need a second verification on that, so I'm not even going to go there. Um, I think Russia was saying, just want you to know, we're here. And um, uh, so this is an alternative view. They also, this last week... What happened just two days ago is Sweden requested to join NATO and Finland. This has been ongoing for some time, but now, and this I have to verify also, that Russia has already responded with a military, um, um, let's call it attack force. Two days ago, uh, this was requested by Sweden. Now, Norway and Finland, you know, they're right next to Russia if you go far enough north. But the reason that Sweden claims that they want this is they're nervous of what Russia is doing with this massive buildup on a Russian-Ukraine border. Aren't you glad I'm not saying Yugoslavia this morning? (laughs) You would have had to been here for that Bible city. Everybody's looking at me like, what? Well, the, the reason Sweden is requesting this, and you can also Google this, it also shows Putin's response. Because if Finland and Sweden also want to become part of NATO, um, excuse my punning on Putin here, but uh, uh, Putin isn't putting up with it. And he let them know. And he dispatched his own um, basically the same thing they did off the coast with the, the submarine. They're doing with, let's see, I got my notes here. Um, I have Putin sends Russian loaded assault ships 
to this, this area. Loaded, emphasis on land capability. And so again, you better think twice, I think is basically what he is saying. All right, with that being said, I'm gonna go back to my notes here. Those are the two views that we see when we talk about the sword. That's what's happening and unfolding right now. The diplomatic talks have failed and um, uh, we could be headed for a major war. Now, having said that, let's look at the pandemic. Um, Because like it said in Jeremiah, because of your leadership, they're shedding much blood, I'm gonna allow this judgment to take place. That's what I see happening. Now let's look at the pandemic. I got this from my good friend, Ed Urich. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor. And um, uh, it's titled, Smoking Gun DARPA Documents Prove Fauci Lied Under Oath Funded the Development of a Deadly Bioweapon and Helped Unleash It on the World, Killing Millions. The article is four or five pages long. You can pick up the whole article on your way out. I didn't put any out before because I didn't want you picking up and reading while I'm talking. Okay? But I am gonna read a page and a half just to get your interest, so what? You'll be a Berean and see if these things are so. Ed's been very much um, a big researcher in the events that are coming to pass. Now, smoking gun DARPA, DARPA is Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. That's what DARPA stands for. Smoking gun DARPA documents prove Fauci lied under oath, funding the development of deadly bioweapon and helped unleash it on the world, killing millions. Thanks to a bombshell new revelation via Project Veritas, we now have a smoking gun proof that Fauci lied under oath and funded what's called the again again function research that led to scars. I watched an interview specifically asked this question about the uh, gain of function and how he answered it. Now, some of you, I know you're hearing this for the first time and you don't get the lingo. But the way he worded was, um, um, he danced around the question in such an unbelievable way, I just couldn't believe how evilly minded and um, that yet the brilliance of being able to take this conversation and deflect the direct questions that were being answered to him. Being developed in, in uh, the Wuhan and unleashed upon the world. The military documents acquired by Project Veritas confirmed what we've been reporting for months. That EcoHealth Alliance approached DARPA, again DARPA's Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, and requested funding for an uh, equipment involvement the aerialized release of skin-penetrating toxins, spike protein uh, nanoparticles into wild bat caves in China. DARPA refused requests. Nothing that such as experiment would be wildly dangerous and would violate restrictions on biological weapons research. After DARPA rejected the funding, Fauci and others at the NIH found a funding workaround and deliberately circumvented the gain of function research restriction in order to 
funnel money to Wuhan and affect the open air release of biological weapons. Since then, millions have died so far around the world and many hundreds of millions will likely die from the vaccine mandate spurred by the COVID pandemic. That's because the spike protein bioweapon is the key ingredient to COVID vaccine too. And remember when this was released, it was not credited, okayed, it was done under presidential executive order to be, it needed to be rushed in so that it did not have to go through the regular steps which could take a long, long time. No, they wanted this out now and so they bypassed all that and they just put it out under um, a mandate. Um, this mRNA vaccine and the mRNA instructions tells your body to manufacture spike proteins, uh, toxic nanoparticles, the very same bioweapon that DARPA said would be too dangerous to release in bat caves. These documents prove that Fauci is a mass murderer. As Naomi Wolf recently explained on Steve Brandon's War Room broadcast, these actions on the part of Fauci and his co-conspirators are in every way um, premeditated manslaughter of millions of people coordinated in the highest places. This smoking gun proof that Fauci knew he was funding a biological weapon and he circumvented government restrictions in order to make sure China's military-run lab, and I'd underline that, military-run lab, got the funding and technical knowledge it needed to build this bioweapon. China then released the bioweapon on the world as an act of war to target U.S. economy, civil liberties of the Western nations. I'm going to end there. There's three more pages, and you can pick it up on your way out and uh, do your own homework. Having said that, I've already commented on um, Charles Lieber, who is uh, a scientist from Harvard University. And um, I reported that he's brilliant. You know, he's got an IQ just off the charts. But um, Professor Charles Lieber, 62, was convicted of making false statements to authorities, failing to disclose a Chinese bank account, and tax evasion in connection to the role he played as a strategic scientist at um, Harvard. A two-part situation update from the Health Ranger has more on this, and I'll be playing something for five minutes in just a bit here. So basically what happened to him in his specialty is in nanotechnology. And he has, we put this up on the screen when I talked about it, just five of his patents so that you could write down the number. Now when you talk about these things, you can look at a person and they have a a real wild viewpoint of it and you go, right. But you can't do that with Lieber. Why? Because the patents are already there. You have every right as an American citizen to Google it, type it, what the patent is and what there are. Basically, it's the building of the spike protein at a nanotechnology level, very, very, very small. 
where they can actually become self-replicating. And the big question now is, what's really gonna happen and how is this unfolding? Well, he's, he's been by, he was been put in jail for the next five years, arrested, along with four other people, all happened to be Chinese that worked with him. One was caught in the Boston airport trying to bring in um, one of the SARS vaccine and was busted at the airport in Boston. Again, be a Berean, check it out. All these people are arrested and are, well, I know Lieberman, Lieberman for sure. So, oh, here's, I have the patent numbers right here. I'm not gonna bore you to tears, but I'll just read one of them. A controlled synthesis of integrated graphene structures. Now, the graphene is the important thing here. And his patent on this is 9-029-836. And then he has another one, um, scaffold compromising nanoelectronics components for cells, tissues, and other applications. We're talking um, uh, things that um, um, it would take a genius to put these things together, but there, Fauci and him, our government funded $150 million to Harvard. 150. And then he's getting kickbacks from China to the tune was, what, 15? I'm not going to say it because I don't know exactly the number, but an incredible amount of money. That money is really a lot of the motivating factors behind this and a complete evilness beyond words that they know very well what they're doing and they're, he got busted, he got caught. And so there's another one you can do your homework on. I don't have this article here, but again, his name is uh, Charles Lieber, 62 years old, convicted of making false statements to authority, along with Fauci. All right, back to... Um, uh, I read the little bit of the article of the smoking gun here. Now I'm going to do something I very rarely do. Uh, and before I show this exactly five minutes, uh, dealing with um, um, a video that's going to give you the numbers involved in the infection rate that's coming out with the, the pandemic. Before I do, I have to have this disclaimer. The person who is going to be speaking is Mike Adams. He's called the health ranger. He's a scientist, he's brilliant, but his specialty is really not in nanotechnology, but in producing extremely healthy foods. Um, he claims to be a Christian. He just started reading his Bible this last year. And he's spot on in many areas. But before I show this to you, I have to tell you this. He thinks we're going to come out of this. He thinks there's going to be a group that, um, that right now, we're the restraining force. Okay? Does everybody understand when I, when I say restraining force? Why? Because we're talking about it and exposing it. And in doing so, it's going to mark you as you're one of the bad guys. <laughs> and you Christians and Trump supporters and so on and so forth. And... Um, we can't just sit down and let it go. But you say, Dwight, it's just too overwhelming. Do you see where I get the title? It's overwhelming to, to speak about these things and address them. And um, yet, having said that, he has a very, 
I don't know if he's born again. He has no concept of uh, the rapture of the church or the book of Revelation. He's being mentored on the side because he says now he's reading his Bible every day. And he's a very much likable person, but I do give him credit where credit is due, and he's got the numbers down that I wanna give a biblical response to after you hear his presentation on the number of people that this is affecting worldwide. And this is where it gets very, very interesting to me from a biblical perspective. So at this time, with that disclaimer, I'm gonna show a five-minute video, um, and let's play it right now. All right, it's January 5th, 2022. I'm gonna try to summarize how bad the situation is with these vaccines, because it, not everybody's getting it, that it's already too late for 1.5 billion people around the world. They're going to die. Another 1.5 billion people or so, actually a little bit over, are going to suffer debilitating injuries from the vaccines over the next several years, and they may not be able to participate in a meaningful way in society. In other words, they likely won't be able to work. They're gonna to need to be taken care of. They're gonna be you know, invalids in many, many cases. You know, heart damage, neurological damage, autoimmune damage. Then there's another one third, roughly speaking, that are going to survive this. You know, another 1.5 billion people who took the vaccine but won't be killed or harmed by it. And those one-third will have to take care of the other one-third who are you know, injured and deal with the deaths of the first one-third who are dead. And then there are the unvaccinated. And the unvaccinated are the ones on, upon whom the world depends. The unvaccinated are going to have to rebuild society. The unvaccinated are going to have to learn how to run the nuclear power plants and make sure they don't go into meltdowns. The unvaccinated are going to have to procreate and have children and create a sustainable human race for this planet. The number of unvaccinated is shrinking by 30 million per day. Understand? 30 million people per day are being vaccinated. And you can confirm that. That's at ourworldindata.org. 30 million per day. So right now, 53% of the world's population has been vaccinated. And again, it's increasing by 30 million per day. You, do you see where this is going if we don't stop these vaccines very, very quickly? So in essence, given that about one third of the vaccinated are going to die over the next few years, and that might be three years, five years, 10 years, I don't know, or just spread out over all those years. But about one third are gonna be dead, and that's a very conservative estimate. It could be much higher. But what it means is that right now, every day, 10 million people are being sentenced to death. 10 million people, because that's one third of the 30 million who are being injected daily. So each day that goes by, 10 million people are being essentially killed over time. In other words, they're being injected, and that can't be reversed, and they will die. So to compare this to the Holocaust of World War II. In that Holocaust, of course, according to history, six million Jews were murdered by the Third Reich. Well, right now with the vaccine, they are carrying out a Nazi-level Holocaust every 14.4 hours. Six million people are being sentenced to death every 14.4 hours. 
and it goes on every day. So I get it that this is hard to grasp. It, it's hard to realize that we are already too late for 1.5 billion people who are going to die. And that if we don't stop this, if we don't stop this in the next year, there are going to be an additional 3.5 billion people who will be killed. So, you know, that's 10 million people a day times 365 days. That's, that's three and a half billion people. And if you combine that with the numbers we already have, the 1.5 billion roughly, who have been condemned to die with these lethal injections, we're talking over 5 billion people who will be slaughtered on the planet. That's if the vaccines continue. And that's over half the population dead. And I know some people have been asking, well, how, how can they kill over one-third of the people if only one-third of the shots are fatal? And the answer is that multiple booster shots. So they're hitting people with multiple shots, obviously. That's, that's a big part of you know, the total kill shot plan. That's what's happening. So, so understand where we are right now in world history. Understand that we are on the precipice of a, a, an extermination, really an extinction level event. If we don't stop this, it's going to be catastrophic for humanity. When you're standing and talking with family and friends about what is talked about here, it's like um, when you come over for supper, no religion talks, no government talks. That's changed now. Now the conversation is where do you stand on taking this vaccine? It's dividing families. It's causing division in households between people. And yet you have to answer his, his claim here is that there's at least 1.5 billion people that are going to die within the next couple of years. And I asked myself, is there anything biblical that would substantiate such a statement? Would you turn with me, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 6? And I'll tell you why I allowed this to be played this morning. Because not only is he spot on with the numbers, you notice that he used two phrases. He says 1.5 billion or more. And then he said, a little bit later, half. Did you catch that? So he made two statements here. The first one was... Um, the 1.5 billion, he said it could be more. As you begin the book of Revelation, we find the church, if you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice chapters one, two, and three is all in red because that's for the church, for you and I. We find the church in chapter five in heaven, I believe taken in chapter four, verse one, where John is called up with the trumpet saying, come up here. And so what he has shown is the book of Revelation is divided into three different divisions. The key to the book is Revelation 1, verse 19. The Lord tells John to write the things that he saw. Well, what did he see? He saw a vision of Jesus, the seven stars in his, in his hands. That's chapter one. And then he said, write the things that are present tense. Well, we are in the church age right now. And um, so we're still in red. And then he said, write the things that'll be hereafter. The world is about to enter a time that Jesus called the beginning of sorrows. And um, after the rapture of the church, and um, there'll be little to restrain what the Antichrist who's waiting in the wings to 
implement for himself. Now, a big part of this vaccine involves a tracking system. Do you know that if you go to Israel today and you go to McDonald's that you can't get a burger unless you got your proof of vaccine? Yeah, that's around the corners. They're going door to door in Australia making sure that you're vaxxed. And it's not here yet, but it could be coming. And there's, some of you have been doing research on this and um, it quite clearly is overwhelming. But if you look at Revelation 6, the fourth seal, we read, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice from the four living creatures saying, come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed him and power was given over to him for a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. If you go to Matthew 24, again, it also mentions when Jesus was asked this question about famines and pestilences. All right, the number there is one quarter of the earth's population. Well, I googled the earth's population. We're just under eight million right now. We're billion. What did I say? Yeah. And um, um, so if you take a quarter of that, what do you have? Two billion, the exact numbers he's talking. He doesn't know this. I know he doesn't. He doesn't know the rapture. He doesn't know God's plan in this. But again, the reason I'm playing it is lines up with this first phase that we see here. But then he went on to say that if it continues on, it's going to destroy half the population. Quite a statement. What's the biblical perspective on that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go to chapter 9. And now we're in the trumpet judgments. You have the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. So we have in chapter 9, in verse 15 uh, through 18, it says, So the four angels who had been prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year were released to kill a third of mankind. Keep in mind, a quarter of mankind has already been killed. So now we're talking another third. And now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision, and those who sat in them had breastplates of, of red and blue and sulfur and yellow, and heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and of the mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. I believe this is a first century man trying to explain to us 20th century technology. That's just my take on it. And by these, a third of mankind was killed. When you take a quarter and add a third to it, what do you roughly come up with? Half the population of the world, exactly what he's talking about, in him just doing the math. And that's the reason that I wanted to bring out a biblical perspective. But let's get back to Dr. Um, Lieber. And one of his... um, statements was this um, mRNA vaccine and it's actually once it's in your body becomes a tracking device where you can be tracked and like <laughs> McDonald's in Israel you can't buy a burger by the way you can't you can't get a, um, a, a cheeseburger in Israel you guys get that okay for those of you who've been to Israel you can't mix meat and milk together 
even though Abraham actually served the Lord milk and meat. <laughs> they need to read their Bible. Um, so having said that, uh, let's turn over to Revelation 13. And we find, and I gotta make this very, very clear here, that technology exists as I speak. People are being tracked today, whether they know it or not. So what we're seeing is a precursor or a forerunner to the mark of the beast. But that doesn't happen until the middle of the tribulation period. So is the vaccine the mark of the beast? Some people are saying so. Let me be clear, it is not. It is, the technology exists for it so that if the Lord would take us right now, he's ready to just step on the stage, take over, because everything's already set up for him, and then it goes into this terrible period of time that um, the scriptures talk about. It's this forerunner. So the, what I'm saying is the technology exists today and uh, no, it's not the mark of the beast. That comes in Revelation 13, if you're there. I'm reading 16 to the 18. And he caused all who? The Antichrist. A small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or their forehead that no one may buy or sell except he who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let he who understands calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. If people have never heard anything in the book of Revelation, they heard, I said Revelation, don't, and some of you are waiting for me to put an S on it, I know. The rumor's out, they're just rumors. His number is 666, number of man. And so we find, with all this, the question has to be raised, What's gonna come after this? The church is gone. The Pope is a full-on globalist. We'll have a one-world religion. He's all in favor for this technocracy, as Patrick Woods would call it, as Curtis Bauer has been talking about it for so many years. It's all coming together, all at the same time. We will have a one-world government. We will have a one-world religion. And yes, we will have a one-world currency. Part of this is to crash our economy. My brother, who's very knowledgeable, he's a day, day trader in this, he sees the writing on the wall, and I've been talking to some of you who see the writing on the wall as far as our financial situation and where it's leading in our country today. It's pretty much gonna be gone. Now imagine the rapture taking place and the hysteria that comes in after that. So once we're gone, um, um, this will quickly come into place after the church is raptured. And this is something that Mike Adams does not understand, the rapture of the church. And um, no, one third of the rest of the remaining people are gonna put the pieces back together again. It's all gonna be under the control of the man that we call the Antichrist. Now, pretty overwhelming. Second Timothy, you don't have to turn there, I'm just gonna read one verse about the times and what the Bible teaches. Biblical perspective of what does the Bible say about the last times? I'm reading verse one. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times would come. The word perilous is hyphenized, and in the frame next to it, it gives the meaning of that word, and it says, 
times of stress. Isn't that interesting? That in the last days it'll be what? Everything will be fine and good. No, perilous times. Jesus called it the beginning of sorrows. It goes on to say men's hearts will be failing them for fear looking at the things that are happening in our world. And as we look around and see all this, we can't deny it. We can't say it isn't happening because it is happening. I'll tell a quick story. It's not in my notes. Flying back from Mesa, Arizona, Appleton, Wisconsin. We're on the plane 20 minutes. Stewardess comes on and says, is there a doctor on the plane? Is there a nurse on the plane? And you know where I was thinking right, right away. And um, um, they rushed. They, they, it was happening in the back of the plane. And when, when I was waiting for the, to get on the plane, I was sitting across from this young gal, early 30s. She had really red hair, stuck out. She was eating Lay's potato chips. <laughs> And all of a sudden, either her boyfriend or her husband came and sat next to her, so didn't think much of it. And we boarded. And um, the whole flight is in emergency mode. And uh, once they started working on her, they kept asking, they had us turn on all the oxygen in the plane. Everybody had to turn on their own devices. And we were cold, so we were all, this was a very unique flight. So we finally land, uh, emergency rescue queue, crew met us at the airport with the ambulance and we we're all waiting to see you know some old guy just had a heart attack in the back row that wasn't the case it was the 30 year old redhead girl couldn't believe it and as she's going out I'm just I was left wondering you know was she was she one of them I don't know and they were very very hush hush about it captain came out you could if uh, body language talked um, he's thinking, do we make an emergency landing? I know it's what he's thinking. Um, or do we continue and try to make the Appleton as quick as we can? We had to sit on the plane. Nobody could get off until they brought in a special unit with a special chair, and they carried her out. She was conscious when she went out. And, um, well, just, uh, again, I, that's not in my notes, but it's just something that I expect to hear uh, on a more regular basis as time unfolds. So that's 2 Timothy. In the last days it'll be what? That's what the Bible teaches. Are we in the last days? Well, that's up for you to decide. I believe we are. When I see what's happening with, um, um, I just mentioned Russia and Ukraine. I didn't mention China and Taiwan. I didn't mention Israel and Iran. I didn't mention um, um, uh, what's taking place in the Middle East and Perfect scenario lining up for the Ezekiel 38 war. Uh, The destruction of Damascus, all that's in play. All of a sudden, much more quickly than it was last week. And so, let's go to Psalm 61. Psalm 61. I had the worship sing a a song this morning. Um, And we read in Psalm 61, it's a psalm from David. And he says, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. For the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Then lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What? David? Overwhelmed? My hero? Yeah. 
You see, my friends, it's not a, a question of will you someday be overwhelmed, is that you will be overwhelmed, and then what do you do? So then lead me to the rock that is higher than I. These things, we can't stop what the scripture says clearly is going to happen. But here, uh, as we begin to talk about this, here is David saying, when I am overwhelmed, then lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Go to our text, and the reason we only read two verses, back in Second um, Corinthians chapter one, and we'll, let's, look, let's look at Paul. He's writing to this very immature, carnal, worldly church at um, Corinth, and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning the trouble that we had in Asia. Now, why do you think he would say that to this church? Well, 700,000 population, two-thirds of those people were slaves. What does that mean? It means they were wealthy. It means they had an easy lifestyle. It means they had a pagan lifestyle. And they had all those things, and Paul's trying to explain to this church that I relate to today as the church of Laodicea, which were neither hot nor cold. And he says, you think you're rich, but you're not. He says, I'm gonna spew you out of my mouth. And I equate the American church today a lot with the church of Laodicea. But there's also the church of Philadelphia, who you and I wanna be. A little in strength, but they would not deny the word of God. And they would stick to it, and the Lord says, because you're keeping to my word, and you're not compromising on my word, and you're telling it like it is, that I'm gonna keep you from that hour of trial which is going to come upon the entire world. What could that possibly be? The great tribulation. Telling the church of Philadelphia, I'm taking you guys out of here before he goes into that. And that's the hope that we have, my friends. So, if David could be overwhelmed, and Paul said that we were in despair, he's trying to tell these um, lukewarm Christians in Corinth He says, look, walking a Christian life can be tough. It can be overwhelming at times. And he tried to explain to them, above strength so that we desired even of life. May I translate that as overwhelmed? The apostle Paul, the great apostle Paul, overwhelmed? Yeah, even the apostle Paul. Let me begin to close this up. Some of you are really scared now because I said begin. And say, Jesus himself. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Luke 22, picking it up in verse 39. This is Jesus coming to Gethsemane. And coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed and said, Father, if it's your will, remove this cup from me. In other words, he didn't want to do it. Let's go back to the watchman on the wall. Why do you suppose the Lord tell him, if you see it coming and you don't tell him, and you tell him, then you don't have to worry about it. But if you don't tell them, then I'm gonna require it at your hands because you knew and you didn't speak. Yeah, but they're not gonna like me and I'm gonna be um, causing division and families. Oh, isn't that interesting? That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. 
Don't think that I've come to bring peace. I haven't. I've come to bring division. That in your own home, there would be matters of discussion over Jesus being the only way and not being broad-minded like the Pope that everybody's going to heaven doesn't matter if you're Buddhists or in the reincarnation. God is a God of love, universalism. No, there's only one name under heaven whereby you must be saved. And if you get nothing out of this message, if you're not right with the Lord, would you please get right with the Lord? Uh, Tim's Bible study comes to mind right now. His analogy of the plumb line was off the charts. Perfect illustration. The Bible is the plumb line, God's word. And how is it lining up with your lifestyle? Is it off kilter a little bit? Well, why do you think we have studies like this? So we can get back in line with the plumb line that hangs straight up and down true all the time. Good place. Maybe I can get one amen out of the messages. (laughs) I got one amen. Praise the Lord. Good study, Tim. Ministered to me. And so even Jesus himself overcome? Let's read on. There was no other way. Jesus said, for this cause I came into the world. And because there was no other way, he said, okay, Lord, your will be done, not mine. Then an angel appeared to him to strengthen him. Well, why would Jesus need strengthening? Well, because in verse 44 it says he was in agony. Jesus in agony? He prayed more earnestly, sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Great drops of blood. There's a place that, that uh, in science it says you can reach that point of ultimate stress where you actually can sweat blood. So, if David can be overwhelmed, if Paul can be overwhelmed, then is not it possible that you and I can also be overwhelmed? And I wanna tell you that it's okay and it's biblical and even the Lord himself. None of us here have ever been to that point of being overwhelmed to that extreme where you would sweat great drops of blood. But our Lord did. Why? Because he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he had to go through what you and I go through. Fortunately, we failed a perfect test. Maybe I can get two amens out of that one. We failed the perfect test. He didn't. He lived the perfect life. Never sinned. He was a perfect Passover sacrifice, the Passover lamb. And you know that what that creates in me? Hope. Hope. With all that's going on right now, you can't take away my hope. Oh, I might die. Um, what did Paul say about dying? He said, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Let's get it on. Bring it on. What an attitude. Job was the same way. You know, Wife said, curse God and die. And he said, naked I came, naked I go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because I'm not part of the equation for salvation. It's all because of Jesus Christ. And what he went through so that you and I could be free. He said, you'll know the truth and it'll set you free. You know what that gives me? Hope. How many people don't know Jesus Christ? How many people are so overwhelmed that the suicide rate is off the charts right now, especially in the military? 
But I'm gonna try to leave this um, with one more parable, and this is it. So turn with me to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven. It's only four verses long, and we will close with this this morning. It gets back to the rock that is higher than I. David said, when I am overwhelmed, then lead me, Lord, to the rock that's higher than I. The stone cut without hands in Daniel chapter two was Jesus Christ, who set up a kingdom forever and ever and ever. So in verse 24, the parable of the builders says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house, what? On the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it did not fall and it was because it was founded on a rock. Let me bring it up to date with our Bible study this morning. The wars are on the horizon, the pandemic is worldwide. Um, we have families and people we know that are, are fearful. And yet, because this wise man, his life was built on the solid rock of the word of God. Does it say we're gonna escape storms? No, it says we're gonna go through storms. The storms came, but his, he remains solid because he's built it on this book rather than personal feelings. If you let feelings dictate what's going on right now instead of this book, you can't do it. Emotions cannot be a part of it. All right, let's read The Foolish Man. But everyone who hears these things of mine and, and does not do them will be a foolish man who built his house upon sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I'll close with 1 Corinthians 13. Everybody can leave here this morning on somewhat of a high note, knowing that they cannot, no way. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, that when everything else is gone, there's three things that remain. You have your faith. We have hope. And we have love. Can I encourage you just to love on one another more and more? And uh, as we see these things, we're told, um, make sure you're in fellowship even more than you were before because we need it than ever more than before. Good place to wrap it up? Let's say it and we'll close prayer. Lord, you didn't know I didn't want to do this one. And yet, I see these things. To talk about them is difficult, very difficult. And yet, as we see them, we must um, be true to your word and obedient. We thank you so much for the scriptures and for the blessed hope that we have that um, um, if you're for us, then who can be against us? We thank you for the blessed hope of the rapture And we really do want to be uh, the Church of Philadelphia, Lord, and be pleasing to you in these last days. And so in closing, I pray for anyone um, who needs to get further in line with the true um, line, that plumb line that keeps us walking straight, and that, of course, is the word of God. So, Lord, we want to hear your words this morning. And through the storms, uh, we're confident because you hold us in your hand and that uh, we'll see it through whatever situation we're in. In your name we pray this morning, amen.